I've been tinkering around with artificial, artificial intelligence like ChatGBT and uh, uh, Google's Bard, and those are some interesting uh, tools that are emerging in our world, and I know there are some great fears about what they could do in the future, and I, I've discovered that ChatGPT can generate graphics for you, and so I knew I was going to be talking about loneliness in this second message on uh, oh, come let us adore him, and how we can even come in our loneliness and adore him. And uh, so I decided to ask ChatGPT to create an image of loneliness. And uh, I was surprised that it really struggled to do that. Matter of fact, the best ones it created for me was one was a cactus in the middle of the desert. It looks like he's sad because he's at a party and nobody showed up. That's about the best ChatGPT could do to represent loneliness. Uh, the other one was a f goldfish in a, in a bowl, in a bare room, in a bare setting, and nothing else. And, you know, I was, I was struck with that no matter how far artificial intelligence has advanced, it, it really can't understand human emotions, at least at this point. Maybe they'll develop something that can. But it struggled to even express that. And these are kind of a, a goofy look at loneliness when loneliness is a very serious matter. And some of you have come in today feeling isolated and alone. Maybe you feel alone in your marriage, in your workplace. Maybe, maybe you're even physically isolated from others at the season of life you're in. Loneliness is a serious thing in our culture. As a matter of fact, I, I gathered a number of statistics that come from surveys and polls done in 2023 about Americans and loneliness. Loneliness in the U.S. in 2023. One stat said 58% of Americans often feel like no one in their lives knows them well. That's a sad statistic. 36% of Americans report experiencing serious loneliness. 36%. Now get this, 61% of young adults age 18 to 25 say they suffer from serious loneliness. Now that's an important statistic because it's almost been 100 years since surveys have been done on the loneliness of Americans. And for the first eight or nine decades of those surveys, it was always the older generation, 65 and above, that scored super high on loneliness, mainly because some had become widows and widowers. And so what's flipped in the last decade now is that the loneliest generation is the generation that used to be the least lonely, the younger generation who is the most connected in so many ways with social media and all other forms of technology that seem to connect them. It even affects us physically. Extreme loneliness leads to a 32% increased risk of stroke. Extreme loneliness leads to a 29% increased risk of heart disease. As a matter of fact, this, this statistic stuns me. The risk of premature death due to loneliness is equal to that of smoking 15 cigarettes a day for decades. That tells you the severity of what loneliness that can be an emotion, can be an experience we have, actually physically affects us. Characters in Scripture were lonely. Elijah was lonely. Esther was lonely. Job was lonely. Even when his friends were around, they actually made him lonelier in his journey. King David was lonely, and in the Psalms, he expresses it often. In Psalm 25, 16, addressing the Lord and crying out to God, David said, turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely. In Psalm 142, 4 from the New Living Translation, 
He cried out, I look for someone to come and help me, but no one gives me a passing thought. No one will help me. No one cares a bit what happens to me. Maybe you feel that way today. You feel isolated and alone. I trust that today you'll know that the Lord is present with you, and we want to be present with you as a church family. We don't want you to be lonely, to feel that way. Maybe you're hearing you say, well, I'm not lonely. Maybe God's going to prompt you to be available for others who do feel that way. That's a part of what the body of Christ is all about. And some of you, yes, are physically isolated, living alone, gone through a transition life. Some of you, the loneliness comes from the loss of a loved one in the last year. Maybe some other difficulty your family has faced. Maybe you feel alone in your marriage because things aren't working or alone in your family. Loneliness is a reality that many of us face. God designed us to have a relationship with him and with other people. Sin broke that down. And yet God wants to restore that as we walk with the Lord and express to others that we're a part of their lives and they become a part of our lives. If you open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 2. We're going to look at two people that are a part of the Christmas story. They're actually a part of the story after Jesus is born. Eight days later, after he's born in Bethlehem, these two individuals, Simeon and Anna, meet the newborn baby at the temple. And these two individuals are described in the context of Luke 2, 25 to 38, as being people who are isolated and alone. Matter of fact, they've lived so long, they've outlived their generation, and they're at a stage where they feel this sense of loneliness, and God blesses them with the hope of holding the Messiah. We'll see today as we talk about the pain of loneliness, and we look at Luke 2 and the story of Simeon and Anna, that when you feel isolated and alone, press into God, not away from him. Our natural tendency is to step back from God when we should press into God. And I think Simeon and Anna give us some examples of how we do that, how we actually press into God when our natural inclination is to draw back from him in seasons of loneliness. Let's look at Luke chapter 2. If you read the verses just prior to this, you get the context that, yes, Jesus has born, been born in Bethlehem. It's eight days the tradition was you brought your children to the temple. They'd be given their name at that point. On the eighth day, if it was a boy, they'd be circumcised. This was part of the Jewish custom and Old Testament law. It's part of the journey of a family. And Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple for this on day eight. And we read in verse 25 of Luke 2. Follow along in your hard copy of the Bible, or maybe you've got an uh, online or digital form of the Bible. Luke 2, 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That's an Old Testament term for the Messiah, the hope of Israel. He's longing for the Messiah. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So he's allowed to live into older years. We don't even have a sense of what that means, but the average lifespan in the first century was 29. So whatever this means, he's lived pretty old, and he's been told, you're going to get to live long enough to see the hope of the Messiah. And we read in verse 27, moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child, Mary and Joseph brought the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, 
to be named, to be circumcised. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. I've seen the baby. I'm ready to go to be with you. When I read that the first time, it kind of reminded me of Fred Sanford from Sanford and Son. You remember? And he would use as a manipulation, you know, it's the big one, I'm coming to see you, Elizabeth. And the way he would manipulate his son. But this isn't manipulative. This has been a part of his hope. And now he has this peace and joy of knowing the Messiah that's been prophesied for hundreds of years has actually arrived. And he says, now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what had been said about him. You see, they've got the pieces of what the angel Gabriel had said. They've got the pieces of what the angel appeared and dreamed to Joseph had said. They've heard about the angel's pronouncement to the shepherds. They know about Elizabeth and Zechariah and the baby that she would have in her old age and that baby had been born. They've got all these pieces and they're longing to hear more of what this means in, in terms of them raising the Messiah. And so they marveled at what was said. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. There's going to be controversy around him. And that word sign in the original is the idea of target. He's going to have a target on his back. It's just what you want to hear when you're holding your eight-day-old child as a mother, right? This boy's life is going to cause trouble. And people aren't going to like it. They're going to put a target on his back. Verse 35, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Now, a sword doesn't normally pierce a soul, so this is a metaphorical kind of expression that what Simeon's saying is, this is going to be hard for you too, Mary. She has front row, a front row seat to the arrival of the Messiah. She's a part of this plan. And he says, it's going to be hard for you. Can you imagine when She's standing at the base of the cross. She doesn't know about the resurrection. She doesn't fully understand everything that's going to take place. And she sees what was promised 33 years later. That would be that moment when her, her soul would be pierced by a sword. So it's a heavy thing that he says. And yet it becomes a blessing to them overall. And then while he's holding this baby, praising God, a, a woman walks up named Anna. Verse 36, there was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. Here's a woman who is up in years, we'll see. She's probably somewhere between 90 and 100 years old. So she has a lot of respect in the community in the sense of her age and her wisdom. Here she is ministering the word. She's a communicator of God's word to God's people in the temple courts. God's using her in ministry to declare his word. She was very old. Notice that the scripture said that. I did not say that. I would never say that about any woman in any possible way. <laughs> but then, to make the point, even the narrator says, I better not just say that. Let me explain. And he says, Luke says, and uh, she had lived with her husband seven years after marriage. So whatever age she got married, let's just assume, you know, let's say it was a really young marriage. I don't know. But let's say it was like 13 or 14. It's possible. Um, and uh, he dies when she's around 20. Then notice what it says. And then as a widow until she was 84. She had 77 years after her husband died. That puts her in her 90s, and she's a very old woman. 
She ministers the word. She loves the Lord. Notice it says she never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. I like to think that's what those high schoolers were doing all night the other night here, right? <laughs> I know they did it for a while in the middle and the gospel was shared. But she's hanging out at the temple. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God. What very moment? The very moment Simeon is blessing the baby, she comes up, she gives thanks to God, and then she goes out and speaks about the child to all who are looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. People who were longing for the hope of the Messiah would come and pray in the temple courts, and she goes around to those people she's seen there with her over the years and says, I've seen the baby. The Messiah is here. There is hope. Now these are two individuals who are fairly isolated in the description of the context. They could be very lonely individuals and yet they choose to press into God. A lot of the description of both Simon and Anna is they walk with the Lord, they lean into the Lord. And I want us to learn these seven ways to press into God from the example of Simeon and Anna as they meet the baby Jesus eight days after he's born. Seven ways to press into God if you're feeling lonely, isolated, alone. Number one, live with an expectant hope. Live with an expectant hope. Sometimes isolation can cut you off from the very promises of God. Get a book that has the promises of God in it. Google and find a list of scriptural promises for followers of Jesus Christ. Jot a few of those down that grab your attention. Live with an expected hope because God will do what he said he would do. Ultimately, we have this great promise in Revelation 21. Jesus is going to return. He's going to establish his eternal kingdom. He's going to wipe away every tear. There'll be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more cancer. Ultimately, we hang on to that hope. But he gives us many promises that we need to cling to so that we can have peace and satisfaction, and can flourish in this life as we walk with him. Live with expectant hope because God will do what he said he would do. I like how it says that he was a righteous and devout man there in verse 25. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He lived with an expectant hope, Simeon did. Lift up your eyes. Put your hope in the Lord and his promises and in his word. Secondly, remember you are never alone. You are never alone. You may, might even say, but I'm physically most of the day by myself or, or even when I'm with other people or even with my family, I feel very alone. You are never alone. This description of, of Simeon, it says the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. He would not die before he'd seen the Lord's Messiah. In verse 27, he was moved by the Spirit. He went into the temple courts. The Holy Spirit is present with him in his isolation and perhaps his even loneliness in life. If you know Jesus as your Savior, you have the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 9 says, someone can't say, I have Jesus, but I don't have the Holy Spirit because they're none of his. As people receive the forgiveness that's found in Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, they are given the permanent dwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in them. Ephesians 1 says it's the down payment, the guarantee, until we're with Jesus, this gift of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God in us. And so wherever you go, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have God's intimate express presence in the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, in you and with you and on you. 
So you're never alone. You're never alone because the Holy Spirit is always with you. Now, if you're here and you haven't put your faith in Christ, you've not experienced the forgiveness that comes because of his work on the cross, he was buried and then he was raised, and you haven't experienced that new life that he offers in his resurrection, then you don't have the Holy Spirit in you. You don't have that constant, intimate, expressed presence of God with you. We just urge you to receive Jesus today. God wants to not just give you a home with him in heaven forever, which is an important part of receiving the good news of Jesus, but he wants you to have his presence now with you here on earth. He wants you to have his Holy Spirit. You can put your faith in Christ right where you sit. If you want to talk to someone, our care and prayer team will be down front after the service. You can talk with them. You can meet me in the lobby. Talk to a Christian friend. It's hard to go through this life without God in you and with you each step of the way. Put your faith in Jesus. You can even, if, if you're joining us online or maybe you're in the room and you want a very simple, clear way to respond now to connect with someone about receiving Christ, you can text the name Jesus to the number 58568, the number below me on the screen. Just put his name right in the text to that number and we'll connect with you and walk with you forward and making sure you know you have Jesus and you have his spirit within you. If you're someone who grapples with loneliness, can I give you one of those precious promises that you need to latch on to in your expectant hope? Isaiah 41.10, this is a verse you should memorize if you wrestle with loneliness. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God, and I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Sorry to those of you who are left-handed. In the ancient world, the right hand was the hand of strength. He's trying to make the point that he is with you. And in those moments you feel overwhelmed by loneliness and the insomnia in the middle of the night, say that verse out loud to yourself before the Lord. Maybe you're going through a, a season where it's tough in, in the workplace and you feel alone when you're at the office or on set or wherever you work. Can I encourage you just to quote that back in your own heart and mind before the Lord? Memorize Isaiah 41.10 and use it to remind yourself God is always with you. Let me speak specifically to those who are older. One of the reasons that the older generation has often struggled with loneliness is because often they've lost a spouse, they've lost a loved one, maybe they've lost a child. Maybe you're someone who uh, has loneliness because of your age and the experience of life, your, your seasoned life you've lived. Can I just encourage you to latch on to the precious promise that you are never, ever alone? God is always with you. Another group of people that through the years of shepherding God's people I've learned can feel very lonely are people grappling with alcoholism and addiction. Not just those who are directly grappling with it for themselves, but family members, spouses, siblings, children, parents. It can be a very lonely journey to deal with addiction and alcoholism. I know our care team under the direction of Pastor Steve Day have been developing a new recovery ministry to deal with addiction that we're going to launch in the new year. And if you're interested in that, you can reach out to our care ministry, hear more about it, watch for that, to, to help people wrestling with that. It's been working on that throughout most of the year. And you're going to be a great launch to a, a wonderful new ministry. But that can be a very lonely 
and sometimes a lifelong journey of loneliness. Let me remind you, if you're grappling with that yourself or dealing with that in, in your family, you are not alone. God is always with you. Lean in, press in, and remember you are never alone. Thirdly, hang out with God's people. Hang out with his people if you're going to press into God. This is, again, people will say to me, I won't see them for a while, and they'll say, well, I just, you know, I was going through so much, I just didn't feel like coming to church, being around other people. That's when you need to be in worship. That's when you need to be at your Bible study, your prayer group, your small group, your ministry team. You need to lean in with people because he shows up among and through them, his people. We, as the body of Christ, get to be the visible representation of God's presence in the lives of each other. Hang out with his people. Verse 27, we read that Simeon was moved by the Spirit in the temple courts. We read in verse 37, she never left the temple. Referring to Anna. You say, well, what is going to the temple? The temple in Jerusalem in the first century, Herod's temple that he built is this massive monument to himself, really, and is a gift to the Jewish people, had thousands of people constantly in its courtyards on top of the, the, the platform there that was the temple in Jerusalem. Sometimes from my childhood, I remember stories of Anna and Simeon in flannel graph or some little picture people would hold up, and it'd be them by themselves in a big temple courtyard with Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus, and there's nobody else. It would have been crowded. It would have been noisy. And so they're hanging out at the temple, not just to be with God, but to be with God's people. We need God's people when we're going through those times of loneliness. You might even feel alone in the crowd. If you come back tonight at Star of Wonder, even as you leave the worship center today, can I encourage you to greet other people? Slow down. If you, normally you just try to get out of here as fast as you can. Stop and say hello to someone. Speak to someone in the lobby. Take a moment to be available to other people. You don't know who's sitting near you in this crowd or who you see in the lobby or the parking lot or tonight at Star of Wonder who might be lonely and your kind word, you're looking them in the eye and greeting them might be the touch they need in their lives today. And if you're someone who is lonely, don't rush out. Be ready to receive. Connect with people. Hang out with his people. Fourthly, look for God's hand in life's routines. Look for God's hand in life routines because he is always working in thousands of ways. He's always working in thousands of ways. Verse 27, Luke just in his narration of the story just gives this basic statement. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, then he tells the story of Simeon and Anna. He makes it very perfunctory. He makes it very routine because they would not have been the only parents bringing their baby there that day. Any babies born eight days earlier would be arriving that day to be blessed. They would offer up sacrifices to the Lord and thank the Lord for the child, the gift of the child. There'd be other babies. There'd be other boys being circumcised there. This is a busy, bustling place. But it's a lot of routine going on. This is the custom. They're doing what they're supposed to do. Many Christians think they've got to look for the supernatural, miraculous work of God all the time. You've got to see it everywhere all the time or you can't see God. The miraculous, supernatural things may happen 1% in your life. 
But the 99% that seems routine and seems you're going through your ordinary everyday stuff, God is at work in that just as much as all the other stuff. You might even be able to only see one thing God is doing. These two said, okay, God introduced me to a baby that's supposed to be the Messiah, but they don't know all the story of the angels appearing to the shepherds. They don't know about the wise men who are following the star. They don't know what's going to happen in the future to Jesus, but they don't have to know all the supernatural different things that are going on. There's a part of routine happening here. Look for God's hand in your life in even the small, seemingly mundane things where you can see the wink of God in your life, the touch of God in your life through the routine. Fifth, focus on your part in the relationship. Focus on your part in the relationship because he is worth your passionate pursuit. As a pastor, I love the phrase, she never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. She's hanging out in God's house, verse 37 says. You know what she's doing here? She's doing her part in the relationship. She's waiting for God to let her see the Messiah anticipating that in her old age, maybe in her 90s. But she's doing her part in her relationship. Sometimes we get lonely. We get into this sulking mood. I'm going to wait here until God brings somebody or does something. Then I'll get out of this loneliness. He's got to make the first move. We've got to lean in in our part in the relationship. He's worthy of your passionate pursuit. Open the Bible. Let it speak to you. Oh, I opened it. It didn't do anything. Keep opening it. Pray. I didn't get any response. Keep praying. Worship. Gather in worship. Worship on your own. Do all that you can. Henry Nouwen said, our loneliness can only be filled by, the, by an encounter with God. But that encounter doesn't come just sitting around waiting for God. It's leaning in. She's showing up at the temple and she gets to see the Messiah. God showed up as she did her part. One of the loneliest seasons in my life was the year after I graduated from college. Now I've gone through different seasons of loneliness. There's even the thing of loneliness and leadership that I have faced over the years as a pastor. It's not easy. Many of you have gone through different seasons of loneliness. Some of you, again, may be in a season or maybe it feels like you're in a lifetime of loneliness. But my worst experience with loneliness was the year after I graduated from college. I graduated, grew up in northern Indiana, went to a Bible college in West Virginia. Leslie and I were engaged, but she had one more year of school, and we weren't getting married until after she was out of school. And so um, the college hired me for one year to recruit students. I would be on the road three out of four weeks a month. They bought me this little Suzuki Zuzu or something like that kind of car. And... Um, Somebody, they hired somebody, somebody on the staff to work my schedule, but I was going to like Christian camps, uh, Christian school chapels, college fairs, college nights, youth groups, and I was speaking, taking a display, showing a multimedia slideshow. It was impressive. And um, I was going mostly in the East Coast, but whoever put my schedule together didn't understand the distance between Baltimore and Chicago or Detroit and Nashville. And so I'd be at one chapel one day in the week in the morning at some Christian school in Nashville, and then I've got to be in Baltimore the next day, and then I'm back to Nashville, and, and my schedule. So I was on the road a lot, staying in hotels, staying with alumni of the school, supporters of the school. I was on the road by myself. And these are the days when you just couldn't pick up a cell phone and text someone or call them. These are the days when we had something called MCI. You had to call a 1-800 number. Then you had to put in a 16-digit code. And sometimes if your card didn't have money on it, you put in a credit card number and expiration date, and then you got a busy signal. 
And so I would call my, wife, my soon-to-be wife or my, my parents or somebody just to have a conversation. And it seemed like when I was on the road, I, I, it just got to the point I'd sometimes sit in a hotel and they didn't always put me in the best of hotels. And so I'd put something on the bed first to sit on. And uh, I remember just sitting there just being lonely, physically isolated, cut off from others. Uh, nobody to talk to, and that's a very big deal to me, uh, as you might guess. And I, one night, about three or four months in, stayed with a friend who'd graduated from school. He and his wife had gotten married right after we graduated, so we'd just both been out of school a few months. And he said, this must be an awesome year for you. Uh, not so much so far. He said, to lean into your relationship with God, all that alone time with the Lord. And it really changed my perspective. Because now I began to say, you know what? I could memorize scripture. I could sing songs of worship to the Lord in my car as loud as I want. Nobody's going to hear me. And I began to just say, okay, I've got real loneliness, and it's not going to go away. But I can live with this as I press into the Lord and my part in the relationship. And so I started singing hymns and things. Even to this day, I still do that from time to time. Even in my own quiet time or when I'm by myself, it might not even be lonely, but I'm just physically alone. This Christmas season, I've been using Christmas music, great, great music to lean into the Lord, right? Christmas music. One song particularly is a song Phil Wickham has put out called Manger Throne. And it just exalts the Lord. I've been playing that over and over again in my car and, and at the house. And it's just a way to lean in the Lord. Open the Bible, pray, worship, lean into the Lord, do your part because he is worth your passionate pursuit and watch how God meets you in that. Sixthly, be grateful for the little things. Look for the little things to thank God for because they're just a hint of what is still to come. These two individuals are holding an eight-day-old baby and God has told them this is the hope of Israel and they thank God for an eight-day-old baby who can't even stand up, who can't even speak, They've just got a hint, but Simeon praises God in verses 28 to 32. It says about Anna in verse 38, coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God for the baby. Look for the little things in your life, even around this Christmas, the people, the circumstances, the, the home, the blessings you have, and thank God for those things. They're a hint of, of the promises still to be fulfilled and the gifts that God wants to give you to come even into eternity. Seventh, bless others with the hope you have. Bless others with the hope you have because everyone you know needs this hope. Verses 33 and 34, we read that Simeon took up the child and blessed him. Anna came along. Simeon blessed them, I'm sorry. Blessed the father and the mother. Encouraged them, brought hope into their lives. We read about Anna it says she spoke about the child there in verse 38 to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. She goes to anybody else who's been hanging out in the temple looking for the Messiah saying, I've seen him. It's an eight-day-old baby. She just starts spreading the little hope she has. You don't have to be a seminary graduate. You don't have to be a deep theologian just to tell people the blessing Jesus is in your life. Even if it's just a little bit, you can share the little hope you have with somebody else. And you're saying, you're talking to a lonely person. How can I share hope with somebody else? I like how John Templeton said it. You cannot be lonely if you help the lonely. You find a way to share just a glimpse of hope that you have in the Lord with the family and people around you, online, in any way you can. Bless others with the hope you have. 
Are you pressing in to God or away from Him in your loneliness? We told the story last week, began to tell the story of our Russian partners. Uh, these were Russian pastors and their wives and one of their team members, a single man named Sergei. And uh, this is a picture of their families. And uh, in Russia, we supported them in church planning and working with orphans who had special abilities. Because of our support, when the Ukraine war broke out and Russia invaded Ukraine, rules changed in Russia and it put them in a very vulnerable spot because anybody who had financial connections in the United States was considered treasonous. They could go to jail, these men could go to jail for 15 years and even with the war, all kinds of things got complicated where there were a lot of threats over their lives and they didn't know what to do. As we talked about last week, they went to Turkey and waited, went to Mexico and waited. They came and they're a part of us and our ministry now. God's breathed a, a ministry to Russian speakers, refugees and others from Ukraine, refugees and others from Russia who fled. It's amazing what God is doing. They're no longer our Russian uh, partners. They're our Russian pastors but in their journey from Russia, Sergei had to leave his family behind to get to Turkey to escape when there was threat because he had to escape even without his family, not knowing if they would ever join him. And once they got here, Alexei and Alia, their son Timothy, struggled with, why aren't we back home with our family in Russia? Loneliness was a part of their journey to coming to the U.S. Listen as they share their story of loneliness. Last September, we realized that we can't stay longer in Russia. We have two small children, and I realized that if I will be arrested or sent to war, they can lose me. So we wanted to find ways to move from Russia. But the problem was that hundreds of thousands of Russians tried to escape the country, and it was just impossible to buy four tickets and the situation was becoming more and more intense. And at some point, my wife told me, we'll find ways to go as well, but you need to leave first. And it was very, very hard decision because I, I couldn't imagine separate myself from my family, but I knew that it was right. I had about like six, seven hours with my family. We just played board games with kids and I went to their bedrooms and sang some songs and just hugged them. And I hoped that they will, you know, join me soon, but it was impossible to say it for sure. So when taxi arrived, I looked back and I saw my wife crying. Then I looked in the window and saw my eight years old daughter beating a heart on the window for me. I left Russia. I woke up when it was ready to land in Istanbul and I have realized I am alone on the airplane in Turkey. And then I experienced what I never experienced before, I, I, I started to feel this panic attack. I, I, I didn't know what to do. My body started to shake and tried to calm me down. I made it, we landed. I went into the hotel room. I looked around, I sat on the bed. And again, I have realized I am in Turkey. I don't know what's next. I'm separated with my family. I'm alone here. I never have been there. I don't speak this language and I felt very, very lonely. I called my wife and uh, my mom, but it was really hard to talk. They couldn't handle silence. And, like next three days, I just walked every day mindless just because I had to do something and I felt so lonely. 
We finally crossed the border with America last year, but even till today, sometimes we still experience this pain of loneliness and day of sadness and lament when we cry out to God. I got up early in the morning to take my son to the school. And when I was passing his room, I heard him crying. He said, Dad, why are we here? Why can't I come back to Russia? Why can't we just go back to our life, the life we lived in? It was so hard to see and understand your child is in pain, because everything you do, it's all to make his life better. You think about him, you think about your family, but what you do hurts them. We know that healing happens in community, and we are so grateful that Calvary became a place of healing for us. When we came, people offered us housing, cars, food, financial support, invited us for dinners, prayed for us, surrounded our families with love and care. It is pure grace. Calvary's preschool was such a blessing and healing from emotional turmoil for my son Ilya last year. We are so thankful to Hillcrest Christian School for accepting all our children and uh, showing extraordinary attention and patience towards them. Our kids already speak and study on English. They grow in faith. They have made friends and uh, have truly opened up and uh, flourished there. God touches our hearts and heals wounds through all of you. It's hard to find words to express how much this means to us. When we're stuck, we're in pain, and when no one understands us, in these moments, you will experience the deepest and most personal conversations with God in your life. You can hear that God is telling you, you are not alone, and He's walking this path with you. If you haven't gotten to know uh, these families, you should get to know them. They're a real blessing. And God has done something, launching a ministry we didn't expect when they arrived. We thought we were just going to take care of them, but God has given them opportunities to serve, and they're now serving uh, dozens of people who speak only Russian on our campus weekly and in other activities and ministries. As a matter of fact, part of our Christmas offering, we talk about the nations and taking Jesus to the nations. One part of that is, uh, a significant part of that is supporting that Russian-speaking ministry that's emerging here and supporting these families for a whole nother year as they still uh, navigate the immigration process in the United States. So as you give to the Christmas offering, you're giving to help these Russian families. But you heard Sergei talk about how important community is and the healing when you're going through loneliness. And I want to speak to those of you online and in the room who maybe right now, today, you said, yep, you've been speaking to me. I've gone through a very lonely season, or it's been almost a lifetime of loneliness for me. We don't want you to be alone. We want to find ways to connect with you and one simple way you can do that is to come up and speak to our care team down front after the service. They'll connect with you, help you. You can even just text that same number I've mentioned before, 58568. Text that number and the body of the message put alone. And we'll, in the next day or two, connect with you, have someone connect with you from the Calvary family and check in and find a way to walk the journey with you so you don't feel alone. 
I want to just encourage you to take that bold step and press in and allow us to be a part of the community that supports you and represents God's presence in your life and be a part of the journey with you. Just text alone to 58568. Maybe you're here and you say, well, I'm not alone. I'm not lonely. Maybe you say, but I'd be willing to help someone who feels that way. Maybe you say, I'd be willing to text or call or check in on someone, walk the journey forward with them and their loneliness. I'm more than willing to do that than text to that same number, the word available. And our team will find a way to connect you with someone here in the room or someone online who feels alone. We'll find a way to make sure that you can be a blessing to someone else and be the presence of the Lord in their lives in a season of isolation that they're experiencing. Let's find ways to lean in into the lives of other people, to press in in our relationship with God, not away in those times of loneliness and isolation. Would you pray with me? Father, we do pray for Alexi and Sergey and their families. We pray for Sergey and his life and ministry. We pray, Lord, that you would provide for them in this new journey of being here in the United States and what they have going forward, provide for them, direct them. Thank you for their transparency and sharing their story. I pray for those in the room or online who feel isolated and alone. Meet them in this moment. Help them to press in, not away from you. And Lord, give boldness to folks to communicate through that number or come up to our team or reach out to our care ministry this week that they are alone. They, they do need someone in their lives. And give us the right people to be available and connect with them. Lord, you made us for relationship with you and with others, and we want people connected. We want to be a part of that. Thank you for the story of Simeon and Anna. Use it in our lives to cause us to lean into you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.